Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. This is part two of our discussion of 80s classic bread, so if you haven't listened to the last episode, probably best to go and do that, because we're going straight in here in the middle of a discussion. We are discussing in detail Series 3, Episode 4, but also we're going through the whole show and we're talking about the whole cast and everything. So, let's get to it. Let's, let's get back to our episode as we are looking at it. Well, should we talk about Aveline next? There's a whole plot with, uh, with Aveline. And you know that line that she always says, Yeah, I'm a model, aren't I? Like, that yeah. was, I remember that being a really, like a line that people said. Something that jumped off out of the show. I'm a model, aren't I? I think that's because it's basically all she says. Aveline, this is something that kind of was more surprising after watching Carla Lane's other shows that's so female-orientated and so written from a female's perspective. Aveline is the least served character in the show. She is so badly... I think she's badly written. It's just a really two-dimensional character. And this one thing I really like about Bread is how distinct the characters are. You've got a lot of characters, but they all have their character traits and they stick with them, perhaps to, the, to a fault, <laughs> like they're quite one-dimensional. But you know who's who. You could read it on the page and you'd know who was talking mm-hmm. uh, because they all have their own way. And, and I just think Aveline is very underserved. She just does nothing. And I think the actor, Jilly Coleman, who plays her in the first four series, I don't want to, I, don't, I haven't really seen her anything else. I don't want to judge her too harshly, but I just don't think she's very good. I don't know if it's, perhaps it's yeah. the writing. It's interesting because, you know, again, my, my memory, my 20, 30 year old memory of this is that line. I'm a model, aren't I? Mm. That's literally all I could remember about her. Like Melanie Hill, who plays Zavaline later. Mm. Yeah, she's gone on to quite a lot of things and you see her quite regularly yeah. working. But yeah, that, that Julie, Co- I've never seen her in anything else. And perhaps that contributes to this, this kind of the vapid nature of the character. I just, I, I, there's nothing there. When I think about Aveline Boswell, apart from that, that silly line, I, th- there's nothing. Yeah. But I think, like I say, I don't want to judge the actor too harshly because I think there's nothing there to play with. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Julie Coleman, she was, again, a jobbing actor and she left the show after Series 4 because she had kids and she just sort of like, you know, your priorities change. That was more important to her. And she did a, the odd job here and there, but she wasn't really working anymore and then kind of officially retired. And then she actually died in, in 2010 quite young still in her 50s of a heart condition and apparently she was like once her kids were kind of finished school she was going to try and get back into acting and, and whatever but obviously that never happened and yeah Melanie Hill like you say who replaced her after series I think is a better actor but I do think the character gets more to do later on she's married and she, she wants to get pregnant and all that I think they give her more to do and it's still quite a vapid character but yeah Melanie Hill's career speaks for herself itself like she's never been out of work has she she's sort of always mm. In regularly in something. There's an interesting little Aveline side story, which she goes to this modeling shoot and the guy's photographing her. Yeah. And my impression as that scene started to unfold was, oh God, this guy's going to be a real creep. He's going to try it on with her. You know, it's going to be a bit of a, a me too mm. moment. And that's not what happens. It's actually, there's a lot of pathos there. It's, it's just, basically, this guy's just, look, you and me, we're doing this. We've, we, we're taking photographs of this crap catalogue because I'm a crap photographer. My equipment's crap and your face is a bit crap, <laughs> which is not a nice thing to say, but, but totally went in a different direction to what I was thinking. Now you look like the retarded guard dog. <laughs> I'm sick of being ordered about by a cheap jack photographer. Oh, cheap jack, is it? Well, 
tell the world some weekly isn't exactly vogue, is it? No, darling. And you're not exactly vogue either. What's that supposed to mean? It means the same as cheap jack. It means, darling, that you and I haven't got what it takes to be up there with the stars, so we do what we can, don't we? With our tatty studio, our tatty equipment, our tatty magazine, and our tatty face. At least getting married will save you, darling. I'm a permanent resident on the shitty... And that, there, was yeah. a real, there was a real sadness to that. Yeah, I love it. I love that, though. That's one of my favourite scenes in yeah. the whole show. And the, there is, the, I mean, previous to this, there's an episode where she goes modelling and the guy's trying to get her to do it topless. So she goes back and the brothers come round and beat her. Ah, so they've already done that storyline. Okay. Yeah, they've kind of already done that. But yeah, I love this guy. And this is not like a regular character, the photographer or anything. It's just this one scene guy. And it is, it's just a real kind of moment of reality that they drop in here with Aveline. I don't know what how to take this, but I don't know if it's deliberate that Aveline, I mean, she's not attractive, is she? <laughs> like, I know it's all yeah. subjective, but if you're talking in terms of being a model, there's a I certain know what you're saying that comes with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, you don't want to be too uh, too judgmental about yeah. things. But she is not a conventional model looking, no. Yeah, exactly. And obviously the way that she behaves and the way that she dresses is deliberate choice. She's kind of, everything's quite over the top and garish. I guess is the word, and makeup is garish. The clothes are always garish. I think, I, I don't know what they're trying to do with that character. It's something that's ill-served in the show. I think a mm. couple of really good female characters would be nice. It's interesting, as you say, with Carla Lane's, you know, track record and the fact she is a woman. But but not just that, yeah. you know, the track record of having written all those female characters. Really, yeah. You're right. You are, you're absolutely right that Aveline is a completely one-dimensional character. And with so many characters... So many male characters in this sitcom. Why is why is she the one that misses out? Mm. Mind you, mind you, having said that, that, yeah, a lot of the others are one-dimensional as well. We'll get to that. Well, that's it. If the other characters, the other male characters are one-dimensional, but then there's six of them. So at least you've got six yeah. different <laughs> character types. And the other kind of regular women in the show, you've got Billy's girlfriend, Julie, who is this young woman who's kind of... I, I quite like her as a character and what they do with that story. Because when they introduce her, she's got an alcoholic mother and a father who's not yeah. really around. She's quite a tragic figure. Billy, in some respects, is her escape from that. Having a, a child is her escape from that as well because she can kind of create her own family instead of having yes. to deal with her own. But then Billy, who can never leave his, and he's a kid. They, the whole point is that, you know, he gets her pregnant, he's 17, and he yeah. just, he's not ready to deal with it. And he, like he's not particularly a responsible person anyway. It feels like we're moving on to Billy here. So Billy's very much the baby of the family, not just in the fact that he's the youngest, but that they're always having to bail him out and they're always having to look after him. Mm. Despite the fact he's the one with the kid... My, my question is, does that change? Or does that evolve at all through the series? Or is he, you know, nine years later, still the baby? He is exactly the same entirely all the way through. And it would be nice to have a bit of growth with having a child and, and stuff like that. But in the last series, I mean, they'd obviously just obviously realised that it was just the same thing over and over again. So they had Julie kind of move away from the street and basically just wrote her out. <laughs> I guess there's some intimation that he goes and visits his kid every now and then. Yeah. But it meant that she's not on the doorstep. And they have a new plot. His plot line for him in the last series is, you know, he meets another woman and he's mm. sort of 
all that sort of thing. And it's just so, re- again, just relentless. The whole point of that couple is that they just row all the time. They sort of fall in love and then like lovey-dovey and then they they fall out. Yeah. But it's like every relationship in the show is that. Like, they love each other, but they just argue all the time. Yes. And there's just no deviation from that at all. So everyone's just fighting all the time. And it's so <laughs> depressing. <laughs> and it just, it's, it's kind of too repetitive. It just needs a... You've got so many characters do something different with them, you know? Mm. There's a good line in that pilot episode between Billy and Julie, which I really liked. Whereas uh, he's got some new pants and Julie says, men who wear black underpants are devious. And his answer is, <laughs> me man bought them for me so she could put them in with me socks. <laughs> which is just lovely. <laughs> In the first episode, there's a line that Billy gives that I really like. Joey, I think, is saying, look, we all pull together. And he mm. says, we all pull together, but who's on the other end of the rope? Such a good line, yeah. I, I know I wrote that down because it really illustrated the us-against-the-world nature of this family mm. that Mam has inculcated into them. Yeah, She says, as part of that same round-the-table scene, she says, oh, yeah, the priest came today looking for his flock. I gave him some tomatoes because they got lots of tomatoes. But the yeah. fact is, they're all laughing about it. It's hilarious that the priest came looking for some charity. There's no such thing as charity. Charity begins mm. at home. But that question that Billy asks, I think, is important. And I think it is something mm. that runs through the show. Yeah. That Carla Lane is the writer. She's set up these characters in this concept, but she's constantly questioning it as well and that's where I get a little bit stuck with the show because ultimately I don't like a lot of the characters and I don't like what they're doing and like we say about Joey just a total benefit fraud but it does feel like it's constantly being questioned and but never answered yeah but never answered perhaps that's the problem like Jack and certainly the dad Freddie both question religion at different times and that's often like because Nellie is so straight down the line that we're Catholic and we're going to pray before meals and you know Jack says what are we go- why are we thanking God Joey made the money I went and picked it up from the market you cooked it what's God got to do with it it's asking those questions and like I say it never really answers any of them but I do like that it's kind of questioning their choices but ultimately my problem with it is that they always get shot down and like they always kind of revert Mm. to the mother just doing what well we'll do what she says obviously they say grace every episode before they before the meal and I did like the sort of passive aggressive prayer after Jack had grumbled about that yeah I can't remember what she says. It was something like, thank God for blessing Jack with the ability to shut his face or something like that. <laughs> but do you, think, do you think religion plays much of a part in this? Obviously, there's a big Catholic population in Liverpool. You know, is, is that a factor here? I, I think like most things in this show, we see the older generation, Nelly, as being much more stuck in the ways. So that being traditional family values or religion, whereas the younger generation will at the very least question it. Yeah. But like even Jack who I think is probably my favourite character in the whole thing. He's the most kind of philosophical. He he'll he thinks about things, but he's also very pragmatic. He understands, yeah. you know, he got a job to do. And we see him he at one point in the later series he goes to a church and he's not like, oh, I'm going to sit down and pray. But he's just like, he's obviously approaching it as, a, I need to talk some things out. I need to think about things. And I'm just going to do it, talk to God. And I think that's the whole point of prayer. You, you, you're yeah. processing your thoughts. That's why people get something out of it. Because obviously God is not replying. So, but whereas I think Nelly would see that as more of a, you pray because you've got to pray every day. Of course yes, you pray Because every day. that's well, the way it is. That's the way we do things. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And I think you see that a lot. I mean, I saw it in Butterflies as a scene where Rhea goes to church and it's pretty much just her processing her thoughts. In fact, this is something pretty classic Carla Lane. We see, I saw it in Butterflies as well, but you see it in Bread a lot hearing the interior thoughts of the character. Mm, Yes, I did see that a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, them sat on screen and their inner thoughts being expressed. Which, to be honest, is quite unusual, even in sitcom, and it's something I don't really like. 
I think it works okay here, but personally, I prefer a show-don't-tell approach, and this feels very much just like, well, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking. I think it works because it's used quite a lot with lots of different characters. It's quite consistent. And generally, it is quite thoughtful. It doesn't feel just expositionary. It feels like we're examining their thought process. So I think it's just done well. I think it's well written. But that's a classic Carla Lane thing, judging from what I've seen. So here's a question for you. Could bread be set anywhere? Or is it uniquely Liverpool? Right. That's an interesting question because... It's so Liverpudly and like it's so kind of set in that city. But you mentioned the Likely Lads earlier. You know, the Liver Bird mm-hmm. was a female version of the Likely Lads. If yeah. you made bread in Newcastle, yeah. there'd be slight variations, obviously. But, but wouldn't that just be the same show? Yeah. I think you would have to have it somewhere where you've got high unemployment. But in 1986, that wasn't hard to find. Yeah, pretty much every northern city. Yeah, yeah Sheffield or whatever, anywhere. No, uh, what would we say would make something distinctly Liverpudlian, apart from the accents, of course? If you think about Liverpool as opposed to other northern post-industrial revolution cities, yeah, it's got that same 1980s decline. I suppose Liverpool has that distinct identity in the 60s that you mentioned earlier, of, you know, Mersey Beat, the, the Beatles and so on. You know, yeah. that Mersey Beat sound was world famous. You know, people in America were mm. trying to replicate it. So culturally, it has that distinct identity. Probably the major kind of cultural difference that Liverpool would have to say Newcastle is the Irish influence. Mm, yeah, I think that's probably the historical thing. Right on the doorstep, it's a harbour town. So, you know, the huge Irish influence, obviously that gives us the Catholicism element. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, certainly perhaps that's as a musical influence. That really happened in the, well, during the famine, like the 1840s, 1850s. That's when yeah. you had mass immigration from Ireland. But, I, but that's also partly why the Scouse accent's so different. If you go, I don't know, if you can think of a Manchester accent and you think of maybe a, like a Rochdale accent, they're pretty similar. Whereas the Scouse yeah. accent is just completely different. And it just sort of flips somewhere between St. Helens and Warrington from one to the other. And that's that's the Irish influence. So that's yeah. not just a variation of Mancunian. It's the, it's the smashing together of Mancunian type accent and Irish. That's probably the major influence of it being set in Liverpool is... But the Boswells are Catholic. But apart from saying grace before dinner every week, how does that inform their outlook? It certainly does with Nell and in terms of family values like the the whole the long-running thing that her her husband has basically left her for another woman is very strange but he keeps coming back and she keeps trying to take him back because she's married to him and that's married for life and i'm my as a wife it's my duty to stand by him no matter what which is a real religious thing not necessarily specifically catholic but you know and it, it's certainly something that's brought into it a lot. So Aveline in the later series, she marries a Protestant vicar, uh, much to her mother's disgust. Billy's When Billy has his daughter, Julie insists that she's christened in a Protestant church. So all, basically everything that happens <laughs> is to wind up Nellie's Catholicism. I, I was just going to say, I, d- I don't think that's anything to do with religion. That's just about creating conflict, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think For the that, sake of the drama. Because ultimately we don't see any real differences between them as as a cultural thing, you know, it's just Nelly being angry because it's a Protestant. Like, there's no deeper meaning to it, and mm. again, it just makes her quite an unlikable character. Yeah, but yeah, 
mean, in terms of setting in Liverpool, uh, just to compare to The Whackers, the, the sitcom I mentioned mm. earlier, The Whackers has a, a Catholic uh, central focus as well, uh, but it is immediately relevant because part of the problem in one of the episodes I watched is that, you know, he's just come out of prison, he wants to have sex with his wife, and she won't let him, and part of the problem is she doesn't want to get pregnant again. <laughs> and like, so there's this whole thing that she can't use protection, and but, you know, that's kind of part of the Catholic influence. But then another thing I noticed in The Whackers that is mentioned quite quickly and, and regularly is football rivalry that the the local barman supports Everton but he's a Liverpool supporter so now he's not sure if he can go to that bar anymore <laughs> and that is something that is not mentioned in bread at all if you're going to set something in Liverpool in the 80s say, you've got to mention football <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and it's yeah. not even like with four young lads living in one house like even when you see their bedroom I don't think there's a football poster up on the wall I don't recall seeing anything like that that just seems a weird thing to be missing that is interesting yeah you're right I, you know that, that Again, this is my my childhood. So Liverpool mm. were the biggest club in the world at the time. Everton yeah. won the league twice in the eighties. You know, it was it was massive. It was yeah. a touchstone of Liverpool culture, certainly in the eighties when this was made. And uh, yeah, now you've raised that subject, it feels absurd not for that not to be discussed. Yeah, we see we see the lads play football a couple of times, just sort of in the street. But it kind of never goes beyond that. And I don't know if it's deliberately just like, let's not just get into it. I don't know if this is just my sort of stereotype view in it, but like this sitcom is written by, you know, a woman in her 50s. Perhaps she just doesn't have football as an influence in her life. And so it doesn't... Perhaps she's just not part of her world, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's a stereotype, but... Maybe the other stereotype is that, you know, all young men in Liverpool must be into football. Maybe that's not fair. I think they are though, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) That's a socially acceptable stereotype. (laughs) But especially working class young lads. I'll tell you one thing I wanted to mention just while we're talking about Liverpool as the setting. Uh, it's not a sitcom, but have you ever seen Boys from the Black Stuff? Alan Bleasdale drama. It was a series of dramas. Yeah, I mean, I'm aware of it, certainly. And- oh, I would really recommend you, you watch that. They're available on YouTube, and I watched them earlier this year. Uh, mm. it's, a, it's a series of six dramas, but they're covering the same characters. So we start, yeah. the first episode is these guys who are there. They lay tarmac. That's the black stuff. And they all get laid mm. off, and they're all in trouble, you know, financially. They've got families to support and so on and so forth. And then each of the dramas sort of follows one of the one of the guys and they very different experiences. It, it has really, really well written work. Yeah. And it is very much a time capsule of that early eighties uncertainty and insecurity of working men who suddenly couldn't work. Yeah. The question we asked earlier about could this be set anywhere? Yeah, I think that that Boys from the Black stuff could have been in any of those northern cities. But yeah. I do think that the boys in bread are the generation below the boys from the black stuff and you can see them adapting to that same world and just trying to yeah. make their way in the world yeah that's the interesting thing about yeah these young men in bread none of them have had a trade and lost it because of thatcher yeah. or whatever <laughs> but that doesn't become an issue like you said it's the generation below it's just like they've been brought up with no jobs and so they've had to work out well how am i going to make a living no factory to go and work in yeah and it's something that's not really directly addressed like even the dad he, he works on the bins for like 10 years but it's never mentioned like oh he used to work on the docks mm. the kind of industry of liverpool it, it seems to go unmentioned it's obviously there's high unemployment and stuff like that but it never addresses any of those things there's a there's a really interesting scene in boys from the black stuff where one of the characters goes it mirrors the dss scene that we saw we talked about earlier with joey boswell but it's it's not played for laughs and this guy's just so <laughs> desperate for money what, what is interesting and relates it back to this is that the the woman behind the counter who is basically hard-faced and completely denies him anything and won't let him get anything out of the system 
is Jean Boat. She plays that character. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the circle. But it is, nevertheless, it's a really, it's, it's not a fun watch. It's, it's, it's dispiriting. But um, mm. I think it plays as a, an, interesting, an, an interesting pairing with bread. That they sit together. If we just jump back to our episode, halfway through the episode, like 14 minutes in, we start a subplot. Adrian has bought a massive statue and Jack and ultimately Billy have to help him get it back because it's too big. It's sort of odd that this starts so late on and also it's pretty typical of what I find in Bread. It's this kind of little comedy subplot that like, oh, what japes are they getting into this week? But it's not really funny and nothing comes of it. (laughs) All that happens is at the end, the police come around and go, oh, this is nicked. And we never get any kind of consequences of that. It felt like we just need to give these characters something to do because we've accidentally created too many characters. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And that is basically bread <laughs> from my yes. reading of, from my watching yeah. of it. And this is why I think it comes across very soapy. It's just like we have to check in with each character. And so you get some episodes where nothing really happens like in an episodic sense. We're just ticking over with these characters and it's adding something that's going to pay off later maybe. Right. But ultimately, like sometimes just nothing happens. And this subplot I think is a good example of what a sitcom writer might go, right, this week our regular characters have a massive statue, what are they going to do with it? And you could build a half-hour episode around that. First, they've got to get it home. Then the police come around. Oh, we've got to hide it. And they put a tablecloth over the top of it or whatever. And then they end up dumping it in the canal. Like, <laughs> whatever, right? Some yeah. stupid comedy nonsense. Yeah. Or, you know, they end up having to break it up or whatever. But this is... It, it's not. The, whole, the the only thing that happens is Adrian's bought it because he's kind of so poetic. He just sees it <laughs> as beautiful. So he wants yeah. to save it. Jack is the pragmatic one who's just like, well, what are you going to do with it? You're an idiot. And and then they get it back and that's it really. And well, let's talk about Adrian. Up. I think you've probably milked that plot for all it's worth. But let's talk more <laughs> yeah. about Adrian's character because he's, yeah. you know, from the very first episode, he's the emotional one. Uh, I must admit, when I was watching the, the pilot, I thought, oh, oh yeah, so Adrian's gay. I'd forgotten this. Mm. But he's not. <laughs> he's not. And, and maybe no. that says something about my stereotypes than anything yeah. else. But he's, he's just into poetry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's the sensitive one. They kind of go to great pains to make sure he's got a girlfriend at all times, <laughs> one way or another. But yeah, there. I mean, even when he first gets a girlfriend, there is a kind of, the mother is like, oh, well, that's a relief. His main problem with women, like the recurring thing with him, is that he just wants kind of love and poetry and romance where women just want sex from him. He's always just feels like he's inadequate. It definitely plays with some ideas of masculinity that he feels like he's not quite masculine enough. But then he also sees himself as above them. He's an intellectual. And it seems like he is the intellectual, you know? Like, one point someone says, like, oh, don't don't worry about him, he's got A-levels. Like, he, it feels like yeah, he has yeah. academically attained more than the others, and that's how he mm. ended up getting a nice sort of middle-class job working in real estate. Yeah. But does does that set him apart, or is he still part of the family? He's part of the family, but he's different. <laughs> it's mm. kind of like, you know, everyone has their own role. But as with the statue, Jack still bails him out. You know, he's still yeah. his brother, and he still looks after him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the things I, I wish they hadn't done is like quite early on in the first series they set him up as this character he's got a proper job and he loses the job and they don't go into a big thing about well everyone's losing their jobs redundancy is the economy or anything like that Uh it's just he's lost his job and so he just becomes one of the other kind of guys who's out there trying to make a living and he's not good at it which is where you get some comedy from but even in the early episodes jack is getting taken advantage of by people and stuff and and billy does all the time as well so it's like that's nothing different I just, I think it might have been more interesting to keep him 
different. And then later on, he becomes a published poet and kind of actually gets quite a bit of success and a bit of money. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because apparently there's a lot of money in a lot of money in poetry, poetry these days. Yeah, maybe it was different in the 80s. <laughs> It's a bad time for factories and pits, but great money in poems. <laughs> exactly. Never good enough to move out of his mum's house, but yeah. <laughs> it feels like that's a really potentially interesting character that doesn't quite pay off in the way I would like it to. Although he's like the sensitive, thoughtful one, Jack, played by uh, Victor Maguire, is what I would consider the real thoughtful one. The, the, mm. the one who actually thinks about his life and why he's doing things. And ultimately, he might not be able to get away from that. He, like, he might not be able to go, well, I want to do this. I'm going to go and do He's still like, well, I've got to make a living. I'm just going to drive my van around and do odd deals here and there. I'll tell you something that's interesting, Alan. When I was thinking back to these, thinking back to Bread, thinking back to these episodes before watching them, all of these characters have a very distinct set of characteristics and they are all to some extent caricatures I think with the exception of Jack Jack was the one that I could remember least about Mm. but I think that's a good thing I think he's probably the subtlest character he's the least cartoonish of them all and it was interesting just on watching these three episodes he did seem more oh gosh what's the word I don't mean more rounded I think thoughtful is the word that's the word you used he, he just seems... Yeah. He, he seems less cartoonish than the others. I agree. That's obviously part of the writing. I think Victor Maguire is a great actor. Yeah. Uh, I think he brings a lot to it that perhaps if you put another actor in there, he wouldn't get. And ultimately, as you've seen the last episode, he gets a happy ending. You know, he's sort of happily yeah. settled with an older woman who lives across the road. And the last episode, they find out they're going to have a kid. And he's the one who's moved out. Obviously, over the course of that relationship, they have rows and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The big thing about that is that she's a bit of an older woman and she's got a life and an established career and stuff so he ends up staying at home and like cooking for her and stuff much to his mother's absolute horror (laughs) who does not who thinks he's no longer a man but again that is very much part of the questioning the older generation's attitudes sure uh, feeling of this but she she her her impression of that would be that he's doing the wrong thing and it looks bad other people Mm. will think he's not a man and his happiness is less important than what other people perceive yes and i think ultimately she kind of she has to kind of come down like well if he's happy okay but he's not in my house being happy that's that's the problem yeah but there's there's a quite a good episode just in terms of changing attitudes and stuff like a, a long lost cousin kind of comes over from America and the granddad is just like he's gonna the idea is he's gonna stay with the granddad in his house and granddad's like no he's a puff I'm not having him staying here and apparently this guy's gay and but like there's nothing kind of gay about him in the sense that he's not camp he's just a bloke you know yeah but granddad just knows that he's gay and so the granddad says that and, and Nelly the mum is like oh come on granddad you know it's not a problem she goes back round to the house goes to Joey he's, he's a puff what do we do he's talking to the boys what if he influences them like so she kind of says the right thing to granddad but then she's worried about it yeah and obviously joey just sort of sits her down and says look there's nothing weird about that it's just a different way of life like it's not he's not going to infect them with his gayness it was a real kind of nice a very succinct kind of one conversation this is a good way to talk to an older generation about this and you know, ultimately, Jack, like I said, that character goes off to America through that family member. So nice. he goes and lives with, I don't know if he lives with him, but he, that's the guy who like gives him a job and stuff. So obviously it kind of like he's an accepted member of the family and all that. But it, it was nice that they addressed that. And this would have been what, 1988 probably. So, you know, 
It was all, all part of that. Just questioning the older generation. Just before we move on from, we're talking about Adrian and Jack, let's talk about those actors. Because you mentioned Victor Maguire. I agree with you. I think he's a really good character actor. I happened to be watching David Copperfield the other day, you know, the Amanda Yunuchi right. one. And just in a really yeah. small role, there he is. You know, you see him, he just pops up in things. And he's, he's a great actor. Whereas Jonathan Morris, who played Adrian, I remember him being quite, again, back in the day, I remember him being quite a star. He would pop up on game shows and panel things and all that sort of stuff. But he seems to have disappeared without a trace. Yeah. Well, Victor Maguire, just first, yeah, just one of those solid actors, a bit like Melon Hill, you know, never really been out of work. It's a good comparison, actually, yeah. They're they're never the star of the show, but they're always really solid supporting performers. Victor Maguire actually was the youngest of them all. He's only 22 when the show started. He's not playing the youngest character, but... He was the youngest. So he hadn't done much, a lot before, a bit of Brookside and all that, because he is actually from Liverpool. Immediately after the show, he did... I want to talk to you about this. Have you? Do you know Sean's show? It was a Sean Hughes. Sean Hughes. Yeah. I loved Sean's show. Yeah, he was Sean's flatmate or sidekick or... Sean's show was great. It was really, it was a bit surreal. It was very funny. Have you watched some of it? I've seen it, yeah. I watched it years ago. I think we we may have to do it on the show one day when we want to do something a bit more obscure. Definitely be up for that. Because it's really meta. It's like he's aware that he's living in a sitcom. Uh, I can't remember the exact details, but like he talks to the audience and stuff. So I'll have to look at that. I haven't watched Sean's show since it was on, but I loved that at the time. I would love to go back. It was on 4OD. I just sort of found it on there and ended up watching it. So yeah, uh, he was in that immediately, but then straight after that, he was in goodnight sweetheart he plays like the mate in that so he did that for five six years but then since then yeah nothing that you'd go oh that's the thing he was in but regular work he's done a lot of work in the west end apparently as well oh another musical theater yeah i think he does a bit of singing and stuff so yeah really good actor and um good for him yeah no i know I, I like him I, he's just one of those i couldn't really tell you why but a lot of time for him, a lot of affection for him i don't really know why but yes mm. i like him a lot so so yeah what, what happened to jonathan morris do you know what i've i tried to figure out and i can't really work out what where he's gone because you're right he did he did a bit of presenting yeah and he was really the one who became a celebrity like uh, just in That's his own the personality word. yes it wasn't quite such a big thing in the 90s celebrity as it is now but but yes mm. he was you would see him on Noel's house party and things like that yeah and I think he's got the right personality for that he seemed to really take to it and I don't know where that stopped and I don't know why like if you saw him now on like the jungle show I don't think that would be particularly out of place would it I don't know mm. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. people, oh, it's the bloke out of bread. Yeah, he's on the dancing show now. But there's not much in the way of acting. And I, I tried to figure out if he'd maybe done a lot of theatre stuff, but I couldn't really find much about that. I don't know. Yeah, what he's done. But like before bread, regular work. He was like quite a sexy young man. You know, he yeah. was, He, I think he is quite a sexy guy, even in bread. Like he's got a certain look. And he, yeah, after bread, it just doesn't seem to be anything. And I'm not, I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> like... It seems he seems like the sort of person who would be working as a local radio DJ. If you're an actor and you know you can act, once you've got that reputation, like Melanie Hill and Victor McGuire, you can keep working. Mm. You might not be at the top of the bill, but you can keep working. Whereas if you go for that celebrity presenter type route, and there probably is a shelf life for most people there. I, I did read he was trying to get a, a spin-off kind of Adrian goes to London, and the BBC weren't really interested, and then he tried to do like a one-man stage show as Adrian, but there was kind of a whole rights issues. Of, I was going to say, unless you've got Carla Lane there involved, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? It feels like, the, it seems like they never got off the drawing board, but he was trying to do more with it. Shall we work towards the end of Bread? We watched the last episode, so perhaps we could not necessarily analyse that episode so much as just figure out what happened to all the characters and then perhaps we can wrap it up there. 
Let me start us off on this final episode. So it's series seven, episode 10. And yeah. it's a really peculiar episode. Now, bear in mind, I don't remember or haven't seen anything from the early years. So there were a couple mm-hmm. of new characters like this Shifty that you mentioned earlier that I didn't really know. But the, it was a really odd tone. We, we sort of spend the episode with Grandad mm-hmm. and then we're flipping to Grandad's funeral. So mm-hmm. I don't know, had he died in the episode before? I, I, I couldn't quite make out what uh, the, the timeline there. But what was really interesting tonally... There was a moment that sums this problem up for me. They're bringing... It's, there's a funeral. They're outside the house, all getting into the hearses, and they're, they're bringing out the, the wreath, and someone drops a bit of the wreath, and, you know, yeah, there's yeah. some very, very vague business. But it's essentially a really sad scene. And then Mam starts singing Abide With Me, which, I mean, I'm a sucker for Abide With Me. It gets me tearing up just <laughs> hearing it. But the studio audience laugh, and this is the tonal problem. It's like, oh, God, she's singing in the street. That's really funny. I don't know if it's nervous laughter. I, I don't really understand. It. I just thought, why are you laughing? Oh, because it's a sitcom. Why is this in a sitcom? You're bringing up something that I'd like to address. How much of this show is filmed out on location? So obviously definitely not in front of a, a mm. studio audience. Yeah. Like when they're sat around the dinner table, that's in front of an audience. Yeah. But so much of the show is out there filmed on the streets or whatever. And that's kind of not very sitcom-y, you know? No. Sitcoms generally have an odd scene that, you know, you need to do something to for the plot. But this really embraces that. And it, it, it gives the whole thing a bit more of a comedy drama feel because it has that kind of single camera setup rather than the classic, you know, three camera yeah. s- yeah. soundstage kind of thing. It's unusual for the time and it gives it a different tone it's not really funny enough <laughs> to be a sitcom yeah. and it doesn't sort of hit those sitcom tropes of like the episodic nature of it like I said honestly like with most of Carla Lane's writing that I've seen it feels like she's a drama writer or at least a comedy drama writer who got pigeonholed into sitcom and doesn't really want to write sitcom this last episode this final episode there is not one funny thing in it and I don't mean that I don't <laughs> n- what, let me qualify that I don't mean oh it's a really unfunny comedy I mean it's not a comedy there's no jokes That's in it, it. And I- there's no humorous situations in it. It's the story of a funeral mm. and the story of a family finally breaking up. It's it's a real kitchen sink drama that it's not a comedy. It's not a sitcom. And that's I think that's what I associate with Carla Lane's writing in general. Not that it's trying to be funny and it's not. It's just not trying to be funny. And sometimes it is and it does sitcom things and it's got comedy bits. But there's so much of it she's interested in the pathos. She's interested in the drama. I think Carla Lane's writing would be perfect for Alan Bennett style kind of talking heads yes monologuing like it's real uh, do you know what it's really weird you should say that because I made a note Grandad is like an Alan Bennett monologue just in this yeah. episode because we get a lot more Grandad in this episode than we have in the others yeah yeah and, and he's yeah. he's just thinking to himself and Nelly comes round and, and you know she's feeding him and so on and she's talking to him and just the way he's talking to oh I must speak to so and so I haven't rung her for a while oh, I said I'd call her and I haven't it, it yeah. just feels like that Alan Bennett type of dialogue monologue I think I honestly think Carla Lane would probably be better suited to theatre like playwrights where you can have a kind of light comedy drama just about family life or something like that mm. whereas I think a sitcom setup it needs to be a bit more focused and perhaps a bit more sharp she started out as a sitcom writer almost by accident and like that's well that's what we want from you now I don't know there's a scene around the kitchen table with Nellie and Lilo Lil and then this other woman turns up and I'm not really sure who she is to be honest from context she's just another woman she's one of the neighbour characters they brought in in the last series as a kind of axe face neighbour that was... They're all reminiscing about their men and it's absolutely brutal. Like this neighbour yeah. character says, after a, there's a little pause and he, she says, he punches me, you know, all over. Black and blue I am. Now, again, there's a laugh. 
<laughs> the laugh track goes up and I, th I think, what? That's not funny. So I, I'm curious as to whether that's a studio audience nervously laughing or if it's a laugh track put on, but it didn't feel right. That was a real, it was a tragic moment of reflection. That's deliberate. I th and this is, Carla Lane does a lot and getting those characters together. So you've obviously got Nellie Boswell, Lilo Lil, who has been her kind of consistent antagonist throughout the entire mm. show. And then this neighbor woman who they just brought in the last series, but sh they just hate each other. You know, they just slagging each other off in the doorstep. So having them all around and having this moment as women, she's really saying something like, this is the lives women have to deal with. And mm. and the fact that what we're about to do is really cut down Nellie Boswell. Uh, that's the scene that comes after. Yes. I think what she's doing with this whole series with the Nellie Boswell character is encapsulated in these two scenes. Yeah. This very tragic figure who's kind of stuck in her ways and ultimately creates her own prison because she can't bring herself to break away from the norms. And, you know, the other thing they do in the in this last series is they establish this gentleman that she meets in the park. Mm, yeah. It never kind of goes much further than that, but because she's still married, even if he doesn't give a toss about her, she will go and meet this guy in the park. And like at the very end of this episode... She's like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna come and see you. Yeah, there is a little bit of hope here that yes, her kids are finally moving away, and she's going to have to accept that, even though she's managed to keep them there ten years longer than she should have. She has to accept that that's going to happen. The funeral scene is basically Granddad dreaming about what his funeral will be like. But I think the point of that is to go, look, do you know what? He's not that far off it. She's gonna lose him as well. Yeah, her kids are leaving, but you know she has got this other guy, and maybe there is some hope for her yeah. future after all. I actually really liked the last episode. I really liked the last episode and maybe I'm obsessing about this laughter track but I think if <laughs> yeah. there wasn't a laughter track it would be a really wonderful half hour of drama. I, I really do. Yeah. And, and, and maybe maybe I shouldn't obsess about it but, but there you go. I think it just undercuts it all and spoils it. I think with bread in general if you approach it as I'm not expecting to laugh you'll probably get more out of it because <laughs> it's not that funny. The, the really kind of major thing that happens in that last episode is that in the previous episode Joey and Adrian have both based basically run away to get married. And the reason they've done that is because their mother disapproves of their choices of women yeah. so much. It doesn't really matter. Nellie would not approve of any woman they bring. So ultimately what happens is they run away and get married. And that scene that we see is them coming back. She knows that it's happened. Yeah. And so they walk in like with their tail between their legs, like we're going to have to deal with this now. Obviously she's doing a classic Nellie Boswell thing. She's screaming them down. She's telling them how grateful they are and all this sort of stuff. And Joey finally, after seven years... <laughs> finally stands up and says yeah we are doing our own thing and you're gonna have to deal with it because you've kept us here you've you've basically locked us down here and stopped us from being ourselves and stopped us from growing and we're doing it now and it's not funny <laughs> it's it's really quite tragic but it's this final pent-up frustration of the seven series we've watched for the character obviously 30 years of this life and we don't even get a nice kind of resolution about it they walk away with her kind of pretty much refusing to talk to them mm, yeah. or, or take it on board. There's a melting of the Nellie Boswell mm. heart. She's still hard-faced to them. And I think ultimately we will get that if we were to see what happened next. We would have that because we've seen her do it before. At one point she shouts, Billy does something, you know, classic Billy, and she says, you're no son of mine, and basically he walks out and goes back to his wife. Yeah. And then immediately she's like, oh, he'll be back, it'll be fine. And because it's Billy, like, who has no sense of what's going on anyway, he is just like, oh, I'll come back 
come back for my dinner then, even though she's literally just said, you're no son of mine. <laughs> like, yeah. really quite a nasty thing to say. Whereas with Joey and Adrian, they don't, they don't, that means something to them. Yes. I do feel like they're not like just never going to see her again. Obviously, they're all going to be a close family, but they are, are going to move on and she's going to have to deal with that. And in the course of this series, Jack has moved in with his woman. Aveline is kind of repatching things up with her husband. She's got two kids. Billy's got a new woman and all that. Everything's moving away mm. from her, finally. Mm. And she just has to accept that. And that's what the last episode is all about. And I do think that the funeral stuff where Granddaddy's dreaming about, again, this is something I see a lot in the bread. It's just secondary plots that don't feel like they add a lot. I do think this is kind of Granddad assessing his own mortality, but it's not something we dealt with a lot. We see things throughout that series where he's wandering off, he's forgetting things, and they're dealing with that. He's always sort of worried that his legs don't work, he's just not got any freedom anymore. But yeah, I think the funeral scenes, I think the idea is that that's the funny bit, so we can have a few laughs in here to temper what else is going on. But then it just means we're cross-cutting between this long-running dream sequence and what else is going on. I, did, I didn't I didn't connect that was a dream sequence. I don't know if, I thought it was a flash forward. I, I wasn't sure what was going on. But regardless of that, I, I don't think the cutting across that worked. And there's a very odd bit in it where <laughs> they're coming out of the house to get into the car to go to the funeral. Adrian comes out and he's wearing a hat and he's got a handkerchief over his face because he's crying and then he sort of like runs back in because he's too upset. Which obviously the, ca- the actor wasn't available for filming. <laughs> it's like obviously <laughs> like it wasn't him. And so we're just like, oh no, what are we going to do? We can't have him in the scene. Which is just like, yeah. that is sloppy. You know what I mean? Like film it with the actors. <laughs> like if you're going to have this big funeral thing with like the last episode, mm. just get the actor in. What are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? Let's just finish up with, um, we've talked about the actors and what they've done. What what did Carla Lane do next? Well, not a lot. <laughs> Honestly, this was her last big hit. A couple of things here and there, but nothing that gained any serious traction. She had a massive house in the country and she turned it into an animal sanctuary. She's a big animal rights uh, activist kind of thing. And that feeds into bread, actually. Joey becomes a vegetarian at one point. <laughs> Have you ever seen the bit where Linda McCartney turns up? No. <laughs> In bread? Yeah, the low point of the show. Oh my gosh. Obviously, she was friends with Linda McCartney through some sort of animal rights shenanigans. And so there's an episode where Linda McCartney is opening a local thing in Liverpool and Billy bumps into her and he goes like, oh, if you ever want to come around for tea, here's our address, just pop round. So then later in the the episode, she pops round. Paul drives her up, drops her off. Do we see Paul? Yeah. No, no, he's actually in it as well. And she comes in and basically just has a five minute scene where she has a chat with Nellie Boswell. And it's just like, it has no value at all. It's just like, oh, I know Linda McCartney. She's famous. Let's put her in the show. It's so, it's so weak. (laughs) It's probably the low point of the entire show. It's like Michael Palin being in Neighbours. Yeah, she didn't do a lot after that. But bear in mind, she was in the 60s by that point, you know. Maybe yeah. she was just happy. She'd made a lot of money. She was happy to kind of retire. And and definitely there is stuff she, she wrote after that. But yeah, nothing that really went big. She died in 2016. And there was a flurry of things about that time. Retrospective stuff. And yeah. a lot of the interviews I've been watching uh, with cast of Bread were about that around that time. Just a couple of actors we haven't really dealt with. Um, Billy, played by Nick Conway. As far as I can tell, he's basically got nothing else ever. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen like, him in anything else. He's got like a handful of credits. He runs a theatre school now, apparently. Um, and Ronald Ronald Forfar, who plays the dad, Freddie, he, he hasn't done much else either, which is surprising because he seems like a really good character actor. You know, like he'd probably do a lot of comedy, but I don't know, there's yeah. not a lot of credits for him, either before or after. Well, actually, one more. You know Melanie Hill? Yes. Did you know she was married to Sean Bean? I did not know that. Well, 
was past tense or still is? No, they they were married from 1997. Although I got, the, I think they had a child before that. I think they had a child in 1987. Um, okay, so the guy who played Oswald, who is Aveline's husband, so he's in from the Protestant series, vicar. Yeah, from series four onwards, I think he's in. Uh, by the way, the, the the high point of the the show in terms of viewership was the last episode of series four where Aveline gets married. Uh, like 21 million viewers wow so the guy who played that character is called Giles Watling don't suppose that name means anything to you that name does ring a bell who's that well here's the interesting thing I found out about him you know the UKIP MP the only UKIP MP we've had Douglas Carswell yes obviously he was a Tory MP defected to UKIP which triggered a by-election which he won and then he won at the next general election as well as a UKIP MP and then he went independent and dropped out and so in the 2017 election the Conservatives took back the seat the person who stood against him for Conservatives and then eventually took the seat was Giles Watling, the man ah. who played Oswald in Bread. So he's an MP. That's he is now currently an MP for Clacton. Yeah. So are there any um, any other sitcoms that you would recommend? Not Carla Lane, that you know are sort of adjacent to Bread, good companion pieces. An obvious comparison piece is Only Fools and Horses. Mm. It was around the same time, a bit earlier actually, but in terms of working class kind of dealers, like Wheeler dealers. Yeah. trying to work around the system, you know? But I see it as an interesting kind of Thatcherite 80s sitcom, I guess. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, yeah, much more sitcom-y, obviously, that one, and um, much more likeable characters. You talked about the the Whackers. Is that available? Is that Can you watch that on YouTube? I found it on YouTube, yeah. Um, yeah. There's only one series, I think. The main guy in it is the guy who plays Horrible Ives in Porridge. That's the only thing. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> one last bit of sort of legacy of Bread. There was a theatre show that followed the series called Bread the Farewell Slice. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't successful, but I could not find any information about it at all. <laughs> it was, I just like there's there's just nothing on the internet about it. The one thing I found was someone on eBay selling a program from it with a ticket stub, you know, for people who collect programs. Please tell me you didn't buy it. <laughs> no, it was only a fiver. I could have bought it, but they scanned a few pages in just to show what it was. So I haven't seen the whole thing. I haven't got a plot synopsis or anything like that. But I've got a bit of information. So what I can tell you about it is, first of all, based on the ticket stub, it was on the was a matinee showing on Saturday 7th of September 1991 which is interesting because that's when series 7 was going out series 7 started in September 91 I assumed this would be after the series yeah that is interesting when I first read about it so it was at the Liverpool Empire and the other thing I saw was the cast list all your main characters there but some of the actors aren't there so there were new actors playing Adrian Freddy the dad and Aveline so that's interesting they weren't available they were the ones who had got some work yeah apparently yeah Mm. Unfortunately, that's all I can find out about Bread the Farewell Slice. I don't even know what the plot of it or anything is. Okay, let's wrap up. Thank you very much for your insights there into Bread. It was really, really interesting to me to watch it again after all these years. Mm. I didn't love it, but <laughs> it was a real time capsule, I think. And and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about the final episode, which was so different in tone. Um, yeah. But but a really a really good piece of drama. But I think I think that last episode is so much more indicative of Carla Lane's strengths than the general series. Well, look, to our, all people listening, if you want to get in touch with us about this episode or any suggestions as to other things we should watch, then you can get us on Twitter at BritcomPod and on Facebook at British Sitcom History Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.